Coming up next, please join us for Real Israel Talk Radio. This is episode 143. Avi Ben-Mordechai here. Shalom. You're tuned in to Real Israel Talk Radio. And with this podcast, I hope to conclude my thoughts and research about the priestly line of the House of the Sons of Tzaduk. Over the past six episodes, we have looked into the general backstory about the Zadokites and how they were later replaced by a new political and religious system established by the family dynasty of the Hashmonaim, or the Hasmoneans. With my previous episode number 142 and part 28, we looked into Genesis 14.18, and one referred to as Melchizedek, or Melchizedek, known to Avram or Avraham, as my king Tzedok, which can also be translated as king Tzedok or king of righteousness. Furthermore, we also learned about the house of the sons of Tzedok, who were called the teachers and judges of all Israel, based on Ezekiel 44, 23 through 24. It reads as follows, And they, referring to the house of Tzedok, shall teach my people between the holy and the unholy, and cause them to understand between the unclean and the clean. In controversy they shall stand as judges, and judge according to my judgments. They shall also keep my laws and my statutes in all my moedim, which is the Hebrew word for my appointed times, or my festivals. And they shall set apart my Sabbaths, which I believe are the Sabbaths of the moedim. Today's episode is number 143 and part 29. Now, according to Scripture at Psalm 110 and verse 4, the Hebrew text teaches us the following. Yehovah has made an oath, and he will not be comforted with any other saying or any other decree. You are a Kohen or a priest forever, through the word of Melchizedek. Now, English translations of this text usually express this as the order of Melchizedek. In this context, I would ask, what does the order of Melchizedek mean? I think based on the translated text of Psalm 110, verse 4, it is commonly understood that the order of Melchizedek is that of some kind of religious or spiritual group or society. In other words, 
some kind of religious order or some kind of religious group. However, I think the term order is misunderstood. Now, this is based on the Hebrew text of Psalm 110, verse 4, as it is often presented from the Hebrew root Dalet Vet Resh, or DVR for short. Now, this root DVR, or Dalet Vet Resh, is about Jehovah's speech or word, which, of course, makes perfect sense, considering the context is about Jehovah swearing an eternal oath. And if you happen to take a look at the LXX or the Greek Septuagint, you will see in various places of the Greek translation of the Hebrew Tanakh that the Greek word used for the Hebrew term dibra from the Hebrew root devar is in fact translated exactly with that kind of a meaning. So in light of all of this, consider the following statements as coming from Isaiah 55, 10 through 11. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and does not return there, but water the earth and make her bring forth and bud, and that he may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. He shall not return to me void, but he shall accomplish what I desire, and he shall prosper for which I sent him. Furthermore, let's now take a look at Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7 in the English text, which from the Hebrew text is verses 5 through 6. For unto us a son is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty El, Everlasting Father, Prince of Shalom. Of the increase of his government, and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish him and support him with judgment through Tzadok, from that time forth even unto forever, an acquisition, or if you will, a purchase of Jehovah Tzavot, will perform this. Therefore, I am suggesting that we should understand the declaration, the order of Melchizedek, not to mean some kind of a religious order, but rather to mean a commanding order or a commanding oath of the word of Jehovah. In fact, the idea of Psalm 110, verse 4, supports this 100%. In other words, through Melchizedek, or Melchizedek in Hebrew, a direct order or command of Jehovah was given based on his oath 
of promise, which cannot be changed in any way. And if one does come along to nullify any command or oath of Jehovah, that action is deemed to be an act of treason against Jehovah's word. And this explains the severity of the order or command of Jehovah based on two New Covenant passages. John 1.14 and the word, which in this case would have to mean Melchizedek. So the word Melchizedek became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory the glory as of the unique one of the Father, full of grace and truth. And this passage from John 12, 48 through 50. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him, the word or Melchizedek. That is the word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority. This is Yeshua talking. But the Father who sent me gave me a command. I think what he means is the Father gave me an order, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is eternal life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. Based on these declarations, it was well known that no man among the Judeans had any right, political or religious, to seize control of the nation's laws and judgments and to essentially change Jehovah's given order of authority. And, in fact, the one who does such a thing can be called an antichrist or an anti-messiah. Take a look at Daniel 7, 25. He shall speak pompous words against El Elyon and shall persecute the saints of El Elyon and he shall intend to change times and law. Now, this idea of El Elyon, as it's spoken in Daniel 7.25, is the very same El Elyon that we read about in the Hebrew text of Genesis 14.18. Melchizedek, or Melchizedek, was a Cohen to this El Elyon of Daniel 7.25. And according to 1 John 2.18 and 2 John 7, the spirit of the Antichrist was already present in that world of first century Judaism. Let's read these passages together to get the sense of this idea. 1 John 2.18. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now 
many antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. And 2 John verse 7, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Yeshua HaMashiach, that is Yeshua the Messiah, as coming in the flesh, because it's the Word that became flesh, according to John 1.14. Therefore, as 2 John verse 7 says, this one would be a deceiver and an antichrist if he denies the Word who became flesh, as it states in John 1.14. These statements appear to be the basis for Shaul's account calling for all political and religious authority to be firmly rooted in the eternal priesthood of Melchizedek or Melchizedek, that is, my king Sadok, even as Psalm 110 verse 4 specifies. So did Shaul or Paul write the following statement in Romans eleven twenty-five through 29. Concerning the election or the choosing, they, this is referring to the priesthood of the house of Tzedek in and through the word of Melchizedek, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. By saying the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable, it appears that he was referring to the elect among the priests of the house of Tzedek. That was at the Qumran, long before Paul even was born. These were the ones who considered themselves the earthly counterparts to the word or Melchizedek above because of his eternal priesthood. So the house of Tzedek wrote quite liberally about Jehovah and his law of covenant, which is about receiving the testimony of and believing in the faithfulness of Melchizedek, that is, the king and priest of Shalem, which is also referred to as the kingdom of heaven. This is the place called Shalem, that is, the one referred to as Sadok, who is the king and priest of Shalem. Now, this seems to be the significance written into the core doctrine of the book of Hebrews. Take a look at Hebrews 7, 14 through 16. For it is evident that our master Yeshua arose from Judah, of which family Moses spoke nothing concerning a priesthood. And yet it is far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an eternal or endless life, that referring to Yeshua. 
Now, this teaches us about the divine oracles of the Zadokites of Qumran and why Shaul or Paul wrote to Titus and Timothy, warning them to steer clear of the plethora of Judean stories and endless genealogies among those seeking to nullify the prophetic teachings of the Zadokites because they were considered prophets. They who dwelt at the Qumran among the Dead Sea Scrolls. For example, 1 Timothy 1, 3-5 says this, Remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. And also there's this from Titus 3.9. But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law. This is referring to the oral law in my understanding. For they are unprofitable and useless. Naturally, it follows that any who embrace the relationship between the word of Jehovah and Melchizedek of Shalem above, they will indeed suffer some level of persecution. And I would ask, why? Because Jehovah's authority is linked to his authority in the kingdom of heaven and on earth, which in Hebrew would be Malchuta Aretz. So now we look at Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Yeshua said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of tzaddok, or righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That is, theirs is the kingdom of Shalem. That's from Genesis 14.18. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely because of me. This is clearly showing me that Yeshua, as the Word made flesh, was also Melchizedek made flesh. Yeah, the one from Genesis 14.18. So Yeshua goes on to say, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Judean history remains clear about the hereditary line of priestly authority that originates from Melchizedek, who was given legitimate rights as king and priest of heaven and earth. The word of Jehovah and Melchizedek of Shalem from Genesis 14:18 is the angel of the countenance or if you wish the angel of the face. He was written about in the scrolls of Enoch, Jubilees, the temple scroll, the Melchizedek scroll, and so much more in the Zadokite Library, 
which was housed in the caves of the Dead Sea area, referred to as the Dead Sea Scrolls. The numerous House of Tzedek Scrolls, that is, the library of the Zadokites, were hidden away and meant for a revealing at a yet future generation, which I think could be our generation today. But it is fair to ask, why did they believe that they had to hide away their vast library of teachings? I think perhaps they saw that the teaching prophecies about Melchizedek, that is the king and priest of Shalem from heaven and earth, would be censured for suppression. In fact, that did happen. I further think that the House of Tzedek priesthood foresaw their present-day exile and future destruction, and therefore they sought to preserve all the truth as they knew it and received it from heaven above, and therefore hid their teachings away to protect them from annihilation. With the discovery of the Zadokite writings in 1947, again referring to them as the Dead Sea Scrolls, it all continues to reveal a great volume of scholarly and prophetic knowledge that was not previously known. Knowledge, still the subject of great learning today, as many are engaged in studying the material, old and new, in order to learn more and more about what the House of Tzedek had to say on a number of many, many different subjects. From the discovered Dead Sea Scrolls, it appears that the priests of the House of Tzedek claimed to possess an open line to direct prophecy. Why? Because I think they were regularly functioning as prophets, even as it was understood back in their day. That is, earthly voices for Jehovah's decrees written on the tablets of heaven. So did Yeshua say in Matthew 23, verse 34, Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes, I'm assuming from the house of Tzedek and their associates, who were not of the lineage of Aaron, but were of the lineage of Melchizedek above, through faith in him, which means faith in the word or faith in Yeshua. And that's us. We become the sons and daughters of the house of Tzedek but of Melchizedek, not of Aaron. So Yeshua says, Of them you will kill and crucify, and of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. The non-Zadokite Sadducean priests and judges and the Pharisee scholars and religious teachers of the late Second Temple period grew quite agitated about all this spiritual exclusivity that was claimed by the House of Tzedek priests and their supporters at the Qumran, who were in fact 
believed to be the legitimate possessors of all biblical truth. As a result, there was a great discontentment about receiving special angelic visitation and esoteric instruction. These were two areas of the Zadokite experience in the Qumran area. This is likely the basis for what Shaul or Paul wrote about in 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 6. I will come to visions and revelations of Yehovah. Oh, that is Zadokite terminology. Now, I want to take a quick break and then come back to the second half of this study here that I'm doing, and we'll return in just a moment. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai, and this is Real Israel Talk Radio. Welcome back to the second half of Real Israel Talk Radio. This is episode 143. Here is your host, Avi Ben Mordechai. Welcome back to Real Israel Talk Radio. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai. Let's continue where we left off. The teachers of the house of Tzedok had known prophecy and, in fact, knew it quite well. They happily looked into the heavens and saw things that carnal men among the usurpers with their earthly reasoning and fleshly knowledge simply could not understand. This is referring to the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes. True Tzedok spiritual lessons came as teachings from the messengers or angels of heaven as their confidants passed down to them from knowledge that had to be gained walking in or by the Spirit, or if you will, walking in the Spirit. This is the probable basis for why Shaul or Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, 12-16. Now we, referring to the associates and believers in the authority of Yeshua, the Melchizedek from above, who is the head of the house of Sadok, Paul says, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from Elohim or God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by Elohim or God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know, because they are spiritually understood. Given the time frame of when Paul was writing, it appears to me that he is speaking about all the Greek philosophers that had come generations and centuries before him. So Paul goes on to say, But he who is in the Spirit judges all, yet he himself is judged by no one. For who has known the mind of Jehovah that he may instruct 
him. But we have the mind of Messiah. That is, we have the spirit of Melchizedek living inside of us. Now, I think this might very well explain one of today's Jewish Orthodox songs of the Sabbath, such as Shalom Aleichem. Could the lyrics of this song for the Sabbath day have actually slipped through and perhaps have been passed down to us from the first century Zadokite believers in Yeshua who were known to be associates and supporters of the prophets, priests, and judges belonging to the house of Tzedok. Is it possible? After all, this Melchizedek is the one who remains as head forever and ever as king and priest of the kingdom of heaven, that is the kingdom of Shalem. So this song of Judaism that I would sing with my family week after week on Arab Shabbat is again called Shalom Aleichem. Listen to the Hebrew words. Shalom Aleichem, Malachi HaShalom, Malachi Elyon, Mihi Melech, Malachi Hamlachim, HaKadosh Baruch Boechem la shalom, malachi ha shalom, malachi elyon, mihi melech, malachi ham lahachim, ha kadosh baruchu. Barchuni la shalom, malachi ha shalom, malachi elyon, mihi melech, malachi ham lahachim, ha kadosh baruchu. And then the final words. Setchem l'shalom, malachi ha-shalom, malachi elyon, mihi melech, malachi ha-mlachim, ha-kadosh baharuch hu. The translation of this would be, Peace be unto you, ministering angels, angels of El Elyon, that you come from the supreme King of kings, the Holy One, blessed be he. May your coming be in peace, you ministering angels, angels of El Elyon, you that come from the supreme King of kings, the Holy One, blessed be he. Bless me in peace, you ministering angels, angels of El Elyon, you that come from the supreme King of kings, the Holy One, blessed be he. And then... May your departure be to peace, you ministering angels, angels of El Elyon, you that come from the supreme king of kings, the holy one, blessed be he. Yeah, I think these words originated from the Zadokites, and somehow they managed to slip through the rabbinic censors, and that's why we have this song to this very day. I don't know, it's possible. This seems to be a likely explanation for Shaul's terse statements affirming the authority of the kingdom of Tzadok. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 13, 1-2. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels... 
but have not love. Literally, there is no love to me. I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have prophecy, that's a Zadokite paradigm, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, that's a Zadokite paradigm, and though I have all faith, that too is a Zadokite paradigm, so that I could remove mountains, but have no love toward me. I haven't received the love from above. If that's the case, then Paul is saying, I have not accepted the love of Jehovah toward me, which would refer to not receiving the word made flesh or Melchizedek or Yeshua, who came as the word made flesh. Therefore, Shaul says, I am nothing, which would make a lot of sense to me. And also, this too was written by Shaul to a congregation of believers that supported and lived by the teachings of the house of Tzedok. Take a look at Colossians 2, 16 through 19. So let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival or a Rosh Chodesh, that is a new month, or Sabbaths, which are a shadow, the Hebrew word there is tselem, of things to come. But the substance, that is the reality, is of Mashiach or Messiah. Paul says, let no one cheat you of your reward. What reward would that be? I think it's the reward of taking delight in humility and devotional service of angels, that is, honoring what they were talking about, because they were sent by Yehovah as the counterparts to the house of Tzedok. That's what they believed. So Paul goes on to say, intruding into those things which he, referring to the one judging you, has not seen, because they refused to receive this Melchizedek sent one, who was Yeshua, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, I think referring to all of the rabbinic logic and reason, which was, in fact, the paradigm of the day, and not holding fast to the head, referring to the king and priest Melchizedek, or Melchizedek, from Genesis 14:18, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase from God. You see, all this comes across as an expected explanation as to why Yeshua said to Nicodemus in John 3, 8 through 13, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from, which I think is where she comes from, because this is the spirit of the wind, and where she goes, so is everyone who was born of the spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Yeshua answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and you do not know these things? Well, I would ask, why would he not know? Because Nicodemus 
was a son of the usurpers of the authority of the house of Tzedok. So why would he know these things? Oh, he might know it intellectually, but not in the heart, because he was of those who were the usurpers. So, Yeshua says, Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know. I think he's referring to the Zadokites, who were of Melchizedek, and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. I think referring to the witness of the teachings of Melchizedek from the house of Tzedok in Genesis 14.18. So Yeshua says, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you things of heaven? A totally unambiguous reference to the sons of the house of Tzedok who were divinely tasked with connecting the biblical truth written on the tablets of heaven with that of the earthly expressions of that truth, which was given to them through the angelic messengers. Hence the song, Shalom Aleichem. So Yeshua goes on to say that no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, the Son of Man who is in heaven which I think is clearly a reference to Melchizedek, who came down out of heaven, who was also called the Word, who was also called the Son of Man, all coming from Genesis 14.18. So in Yeshua's criticism of the Sadducees and the Pharisees, it appears that Yeshua was making a reference to the Hasidic decree of Lo Bashamayim He. Lo, Bashamayim he, means she is not in heaven, or it is not in heaven, coming from Deuteronomy 30, verses 12 through 14. For this commandment, which I command you today, is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. He is not in heaven, that you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us and bring him to us, that we may hear him and do him. Nor is he beyond the sea, that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring him to us, that we may hear him and do him? But the word is very near to you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do him. So then I would ask, exactly what or who is not in heaven. Obviously, Yeshua knew the answer, as did Moses of ancient times. The clear answer, the Son of Man, the Word, is not in heaven. No, not based on Genesis fourteen eighteen, and the coming of Yeshua, as referenced in John 1, 14, for post-Second Temple period Judaism, the Torah is not in heaven, but rather on earth. And this begs the question, where on earth is the Torah found? Of course, any rabbinic scholar would know the answer from Exodus 23, verse 2, which reads in Hebrew, 
Achare Rabim Lehatot, meaning after the majority you will incline. The Rambam, also known as Rabbi Moshe ben Maimon, explained it this way in his introduction to the Mishnah. He wrote, If there are 1,000 prophets, all of them of the stature of Elijah and Elijah, giving a certain interpretation, and 1,001 rabbis giving an opposite interpretation, you shall incline after the majority, that's Exodus 23.2, and the law is according to the 1,001 rabbis, and not according to the 1,000 venerable prophets. God did not permit us to learn from the prophets, only from the rabbis who were men of logic and reason. Yes, that's what the Rambam wrote back in his day in the 1100s. This intuitively invalidates the authority of the teaching priests of the house of Tzedok. It just says to them, you don't have any more authority. Now we have the authority. Because the Hasidic men of logic and reason were given to the nation in order to replace Zadokite prophecy. The priests of the house of Tzedok called themselves the community of the Yachad. To them, it meant that they were the unified mouthpiece for heaven's angels on earth. They did not play in the realms of rabbinic logic and reason, where the maxim was to, quote, incline after the majority. Confidently, it was a game-changing move when the Hasidim of the Hasmonean period, that is the Pharisees, declared war on the Zadokite Age of Prophecy. For the Hasidim of the Hashmonaim or the Hasmonean period, the House of Tzedok priesthood was an old, outdated system and definitely no longer relevant to them or the nation. Therefore, it was unprofitable to permit them to remain in authority. This was the new Judaism that was then rebuilt after the destruction of the city and the sanctuary of the Jerusalem temple in approximately 70 of the Common Era. This, of course, logically explains why the theology of Judaism as we know it today has no need for a priesthood of believers under the authority of Melchizedek, that is, the king and priest Yeshua of Shalem, of whom is a priesthood guided by the king in order to walk in and by the Holy Spirit. In other words, the theme of walking in and by the Holy Spirit is actually a bait Sadok teaching. It's a house of Sadok teaching. Therefore, it was Yeshua who said in Matthew 23, 37 through 39, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets among the sons of the house of Sadok and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together 
as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house, I think as opposed to the house of Tzedok, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of Yehovah, Baruch Ababa Shem Yehovah. In the days leading up to the arrival of Yeshua, anything having to do with the authority of the messianic house of the sons of Tzedok, it was vigorously rejected, which is why particularly the calendar was in such great dispute. The Pharisees and the Jerusalem Tzedokim favored putting themselves in control of establishing the festival calendar of all Israel. However, recall again the prophetic word of Ezekiel 44.24. They, the house of Tzedok, they shall safeguard my laws and my statutes in all my Moedim, that is, in all my appointed meetings, my festivals, in other words. The Hasidim saw themselves in the role of freeing the nation from any outside dependence on a caste of priests to tell the nation how they must interpret the biblical texts, and when to observe all the divine festivals. Still, a large number of the people of the land recognized all of this as nonsense and instigating a religious coup d'etat. So we look at Matthew 7, 28-29. It was when Yeshua had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Consequently, the religious teachers in Yeshua's day wanted nothing to do with Yeshua or his disciples because doing so meant a national return back to the authority of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of Shalem under the divine authority of Melchizedek, who was king and priest of Shalem, and to this moment remains so. This is what Yeshua began to publicly speak about after all authority in heaven and on earth was given to him. Here's Matthew 4.17. From that time, Yeshua began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. When the national religious leadership rejected Melchizedek Yeshua, he responded by saying in Luke 19, 43-44, For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you surround you and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Why? Because you did not know the time of your visitation. Following the fulfillment of these words, the rabbis were now free to reconfigure the playing field that is, to change the boundaries. They discarded the scrolls of the books of Enoch 
and of Jubileum, that's Jubilees, they amended many, many passages in the prophetic books of Jeremiah and Ezekiel to minimize references to prophetic utterances, and they even codified Scripture to exclude any other literary works of prophecy. They established their own festival calendar called the New Moon Calendar with the idea of looking at the faces of the moon and doing the witnesses in front of the Sanhedrin and identifying how much of a sliver was in the new moon, all of that stuff, including the barley. That was all rabbinic replacements to the Zadokite calendar of the day. So they established their own festival calendar based on all these things and not of the Zadokites and rejected the notion of walking in the Holy Spirit of Jehovah, among many other matters. Now, when we return for my next program, I do want to wrap up my thoughts on this Zadok calendar as it relates to the last week of Yeshua's Passover chronology, and I'll return to revisit the big Passover difficulty How was it possible that Yeshua could do and eat the Passover with his disciples, be the Passover lamb, according to the book of Exodus, and three, die for the sins of the world? In the meantime, may you have a great week. May you have health and healing shalom on multiple levels. See you next time. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai. And this is Real Israel Talk Radio.